0: Hi everybody, welcome to The Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry podcast with me, Philip Eidson and Darren McAnthony, who I think you are now have the role of transfer spokesman, if the <laughs> Peterborough Telegraph is correct, <laughs> along with the other roles, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and co-owner of Peterborough United. Uh, Today we're going to be catching up with Dara on uh, crowd test events, on uh, setting season ticket prices. I got a question around that. We have some other listener Q and A transfers, and then we're going to have a special fans forum with Peterborough United fans previewing the new season at the end. So, how's it going, Dara?
1: Oh, good, pal. All good. Busy, busy one. I I was at our first, uh, well, our first stadium game at our place since Mm -hmm. I've been there since January. So that was a little bit bizarre, obviously, getting there. And then obviously, right. we our, Sat outside watching the game, you know, in like a soulless bowl type thing. And and, and I'm sure there's a few cobblers and Cambridge United fans that go, that's the normal PW United game. Mm-hmm. Fuck, fuck you, Lot, if that's the joke you want to make. But it was, uh, yeah, it was a bit surreal. I was with the manager. We were sat up watching the game together. And he was just saying, yeah, this is like really eerie. Uh, but yeah, it was good, good workout. We played Coventry, really good team, one of the best in League One last year. And we purposely wanted that as our final game. Um, mm-hmm. Because they're probably going to be anywhere from 12 to 18th in the champ, quite comfortable in my opinion. So they're a good passing team. They they play a similar formation to us, and they press the ball really well. So it was a great test, and we played two different games, two 90 minute games. So the squad got a great workout. Um, what else been going on? Finalised a new signing for striker. Yeah. Um, we obviously sold a striker. And we got our squad pretty much. The salary cap squad was announced. We did it the other day. I wanted to get that out early. <laughs> you know so we're very transparent about who's involved who can't be involved um and yeah just ready to go now the first games against on Saturday in the the league cup and looking forward to it all
0: right well I got some questions to to um jump in on some of those points but some listeners may not be aware that you know Peterborough United isn't your only love
2: um
0: that you're a big Liverpool fan and we had the Charity Shield at the weekend and I, I don't think you were too impressed
1: no, I, look, it's, you know, the one thing about like, last season, Liverpool and pre-season were crap. And, they, you know, they went on mm. to have a phenomenal season. It's um, all so once you get to the top of the mountain in life, and this is business advice and probably sports advice, yeah. it's really, really difficult to stay there. And when you go back down the mountain, as 99% of people do, it's really difficult to have the ambition and the same strength of character to climb back up, you know, not straight away. It's really, really tough to get back up again because you've already conquered Everest. And now you're like, okay, I'm going back down. I got to go back up again. And in football, I guess you have to keep replenishing. You have to keep adding to your squad. You have to keep strengthening in key areas. And and I, I worry about Liverpool. You know, obviously they spent I think two million last summer. They, they bought a left back in for twelve million or eleven million this summer. And you see some of the business going on. United are about to add another very talented midfielder to their corpse. You see Chelsea getting better. Man City will get better. I'd, I'd, You know, if Liverpool win the title this year, it'd be a bigger miracle than the year just gone, in my mm. opinion. You know, having to climb the mountain again um, with other teams getting better. And I always worry about the strength and depth because outside the 11, you're not like, you know, Jordan Henderson's not in the team. The win percentage drops. You know, one of the front three is not playing well or two of the front three aren't playing well. Who's coming in? Yes, we've got young Brewster. You know, OK, we've got divo Origi. Um but let's be really realistic here. they're, they're not replacements. They're not Minamino's come in and scored a goal. But I'm question mark still on him. You're talking about yeah, strength and debt worries me there at Liverpool. If they don't, mm-hmm. they don't do some business, and I hope they do. I mean, they've been linked with Sar, I think Watford. They've been linked to Torri at yeah. You know, uh, I'll uh, you know the boy Thiago I'll contract Bayern Munich. Um, I, I'd be very concerned if we don't bring in three or four because they've also they've, they've lost some strength. People who've got a contract left. You've seen a midfield in the Charity Shield. You know, with a 34 year old James Milner playing, um, you just, you'd be concerned about handling cups, Champions League, and trying to win the league again. I'm, you know, so as a Liverpool fan, probably the pessimist in me, I don't see us winning the league.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it was one of the things that Sir Alex was always so good at, wasn't it? Of continuing to replenish, always. Um, always. we know as you're a winner, and, and not being afraid to blow up the squad um, we- when it made sense to do so.
1: Yeah, every three, four years, Sir Alex Ferguson would almost like a mini rebuild, always yeah. uh, to keep it fresh. And if you look at that Liverpool team that came second a year ago, won it last year, gone into the third year, you, you know, it's the same squad, really. There isn't really big differences in there. If you look at the spine, the goalie, Van Dyke, you know, yeah, it, just the squad strength to me is concerning. But the window's still got a, a bit of time to go. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong. They might, you know, bring in a few. If they lost one of those players, you'd be you'd be almost suicidal. As a Liverpool fan, if you lost one of your front three, you'd be just like, you know what, my goodness. So I read that about Mane today, like 90 million Barcelona. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> don't you dead. And you just look at some of the business. And I, I'm envious. As a Liverpool fan, I'm envious of the business Chelsea have done. I I I really am. I see some of the players and go, oh, some terrific young talent. They're like signing up. And if Liverpool one of the biggest clubs in the world, can't be competing for forty and fifty million pound players. Uh, you know that really yeah. something about the pandemic and how it affects ownerships.
0: Now, do you think they have the money to spend, or there? You know that's not been the Liverpool way.
1: No, oh, I, I, I think in fairness to Fenway, they've always recruited well. They got a good yeah. net net deficit spend. You know they they sold Coutinho and they brought in two world class players and Van Dyke in the goalkeeper, which helped them win the league. I don't think you're ever going to see them doing Abramovich and spend two hundred. Mm-hmm. Three hundred million in one window without players being sold to, to make up for it, um, yeah, I I I really don't know what's going on. I think Klopp's a brilliant manager because he tells the party line. You know, you'd probably like if you asked him, would he be a bit frustrated with you know missing out the striker? Yeah. I'll see who he wanted from uh, Leipzig, um, but he came out and he said, "Oh, it's a pandemic. It's this. It's that. Look, it's 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 one of the biggest clubs in the world. They should, no matter what, always be competing for some of those best young talents." Mm. That are It just seems at the moment Chelsea are signing them all up. And that's, I guess, frustrating. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, you've been busy in the transfer market this week. So you have sold a striker, as you mentioned. You have bought a striker. I'm um, sure that... Both of those transfers are, uh, you know, they're pretty sizable transfers. And I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about one kind of Ivan-Tony and uh, Ivan's deal. We were recording this on Monday. You just announced today, but it's going to go through tomorrow, I think. Kind of how that deal came about.
1: Well, it's, you know, Rasmus, who runs Brentford on behalf of Matthew Benham, the owner. Um, you know, he came come to a game when we beat Wickham uh, back in January. He tried to buy Ivan then, and I turned him down multiple times. And then when the pandemic was going on in the summer and Brentford came back to start playing again, Rasmus got in touch with me again. So we were banging out the deal for about two weeks because I've always stood at a certain price. I've never changed. I've never wavered. Mm-hmm. And he oh, At first he thought, well, pandemic discount. And I was like, no. We went backwards and forwards. Then a big club came in uh, from Scotland. And then there was other interest. And in the end, I said to both my Rasmus and the owner of Brentford, look, this is the deal. This is what If you want to get business done early, I respect that because we try and do the same. Uh, that's the deal, if you want it, otherwise we're moving on. And they came back, they agreed, uh, we, some of the add-ons we, we negotiated over, and it was agreed seven weeks ago, before I even came to the UK. Yeah. So the player was given permission, Brentford were still playing in the in the last couple of playoff games in the championship, and um, obviously I think it, negotiations between them and the player, that's between them, I've no idea, I don't want to know what was going on. So then I came to the UK, If the deal didn't seem to be happening, um, we then started talking to other clubs, then I went to St. George's last week and I got a message from Rasmus to say, oh, the deal's back on. Um, we're, we're speaking to him again. And I spoke to Ivan and his dad and and I believe they agreed a deal. And, and then we got a date off Brentford when it was happening. So then we kicked into gear and we knew we needed to be ahead of this. You know, because we yep. have all this money coming in from the Brentford deal and Sky are reporting figures and other people reporting figures. So we went and bought Clark Harris from um, Bristol Rovers. Uh, he's a player we know really well. We had him when he was a, a youngster, yeah. and um, you know, statistically, physically, everything about him is very similar to Ivan. And I'm not trying to put pressure on him saying he's the next Ivan Tony. He's a very good League One striker who scored a lot of goals. We think we can improve him, and he's a really, really good addition to our squad. And we've got four good strikers. Mm-hmm. We struck a deal with Bristol. I did the deal myself with the owner of Bristol Rovers, who's out in, I believe he is in. Uh, I want to say where is he? He's in the UAE, and mm-hmm. I actually we were at a friendly last week at Colchester. And I personally uh, rang the owner of Bristol Rovers out there to get the deal over the line because it wasn't going anywhere. Um, before that, they were turning down bids, turning down bids. So I rang him myself. We struck a deal amongst each other. He obviously had heard about the Ivan Tony thing. So mm-hmm. he wants numbers. I explained the process. You know, when you sell a player like Ivan, first thing you got to remember is you don't get all the money up front. It just doesn't work. Right. If you sell to a Premier League club, you do. When we sold Dwight Gale, we pretty much got a lot of that up front because Palace were a Premier League club. When you sell players to a championship club, there's financial fair play, there's cash flow. It's the same when we buy a player. None of the players we've bought, we've paid up front for. You pay mm-hmm. over a period of time, whether it be two seasons or three seasons. And most strikers we've sold in the past have been in, you know, it could be three installments, it could be two installments. So you then have the choice to factor the money. You pay a percentage yeah. factoring. We then had a massive sell-on to Newcastle to pay. So we're, we're happy to help Steve Bruce out to his transfer budget this summer from Newcastle, which is really important. <laughs> now, c- can
0: I jump in and ask, when you have a, uh, a sell-on fee like that to pay, do you, are your payments, um, and I know you may not be able to speak about this deal specifically, but generally speaking, are those payments structured over like the two or three years as well, or do you have to pay that, no, that no, sell-on fees immediately?
1: So they get paid basically as we get paid in the deal.
0: Got it. So oh, it's based well, we on the have- cash flow.
1: Yeah, if we owed them a pound, you know, they get it in the first installment, they get it in the next installment. It's, it's done the same. Um, mm. The funny thing was, we still owed them, because of the deal when we bought them two years ago, we still owed Newcastle 100 grand of his initial transfer right. rate. So, because when we bought them, I think, two years ago, we were paying it over two years. That final installment was due now, so they got the sell on and the final installment. So, that, that's quite normal business. Um, and, and that's the way we work. And look, Newcastle were really good to us. The reason we got them really cheaply two years ago was because we gave him a bigger sell-on. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's what you sell to a club when you're trying to buy a player and go, look, we'll give you a bigger sell-on. We won't give you the biggest fee. You'll do well down the line. And Newcastle have just made a massive amount of money um, on a player that we've obviously got good over the last two years. So look, uh, would, would I rather Grimsby or Dagenham or you know, a, a lower league club have got the sell-on? 100% I would. I love when we do business like mm-hmm. that. But in this occasion, I, I can't fault Newcastle. Um, the guy who runs it there, Lee, who does the deals. Um, they they were brilliant with us when we bought them, and they were brilliant, you know, recently as well. With when we were obviously selling them, and then their payments were yeah. due. So that's just the way it works. So for a club like ours, who got stuffed out of probably four million last year when our season was cut short, stuffed out of money during the pandemic, came mm-hmm. with that, and then stuffed with probably another four million deficit this season. To sell a player like that in a pandemic, uh, you know, again, I'm not trying to pat anyone on the back. But any League One club who's done the business we've just done, it's almost a miracle, um, you know, because you, you you just wouldn't expect it in the pandemic, people would say. But I've always been confident, even when the shit was hitting the fan. You know, my partners were saying to me, you oh, know, what do you think? But we still get those kind of figures? And me and Barry Fry were always like, yeah. And, and truth be known, if it had gone longer in the window, we probably would have got more um, because mm. there clubs who wanted them. And I've got people who say, oh, you're lying. I've got emails here, um, you know, I've shown you a discreet email from one premier League, you know, who basically, you know, wanted to ask for a price. Those clubs told us they had to sell a player or move a player on before they could come in with a proper bid. And we could have waited till the end of September. We could have waited till the start of the window was ending and we probably would have got more money. But we as owners made the decision to have that circus going on at the start of the season would have been really distracting for our club, distracting for our team. Because you got Ivan at training. Is he going to play in games? Is he not? Is he going? Is he staying? We just felt, you know what? Let's draw a line under it. No circus. We'll sell him. We'll do the business now. We'll get a replacement in and just get on with trying to win promotion. Yeah. Because we don't need that circus around us going into a really, really important season for our club. So we did the deal that we felt was best for us. And the add-ons are incredible. And the add-ons are very, very achievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, that's something mm-hmm. that's budget-wise going forward, they're all those beautiful little things that just come in as bonuses down the line.
0: Yeah, you know, it's a risky game as well to leave it as late in the window because, you know, something with a player might happen. He might get injured. He might decide, you know what? My head's been turned by somebody who can't pay a transfer fee, but I'll be a free agent in 12 months, Um, you know, and I get to pocket some of that, that they would spend on a transfer fee. So um, completely understand. makes sense to do it.
1: One of the clubs that tried to buy him, you know, wound me up because when they came in with their their fee and it was half of what Brentford paid, the, their pitch was listen, we'll just wait till January. And in January, mm-hmm. we'll just cause, we'll pre sign them <laughs> and you won't get a pound note. And that was the, and when you, when you try and negotiate with me like that, all you do is fucking wind me up. And, you know, I'm, I wasn't born yesterday. I've been around the business a long time. If you, you know, that's probably over 60 million quid worth of transfers I've done since I bought Peterby United. Mm-hmm. Um, a lower league club is, is you know, unbelievable business. Um, so yeah, I, at the end of the day, I know what the market is. I know it's not a fast moving market at the moment. I know there's not massive amounts of fees, but I also know the premium a player like Ivan Toney should go for. And trust me when I say, Brentford will either get promoted or sell him for twenty five to thirty five million, right. and we we'll, we'll end up with another three or four million down the line. Mm-hmm. So you can take that to the bank because that's a guarantee in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things, that the values as you go up the leagues, even just in the championship, a championship striker who can do it.
1: Oh, it's so <laughs> yeah. Ivan, Ivan Tony, you know, for PW United scores 20 goals in the championship, we're getting 25 million instead of what yeah. we've got. And it's life-changing yeah. for a club our size. And that's why we so want to get out of this league. And people will say, well, why don't you keep your best players? Well, it's very difficult when a player's on, say, three grand a week and he's been offered 12 times to 15 times that to move. You try keeping your wife mm-hmm. in the house when someone offers that kind of money. Right. So I mean it's alternative. It's no disrespect to your wife and my wife, but anybody, that is just like money talks and bullshit walks.
0: Yeah, it's I mean you can't stop a player from from get earning a life-changing amount of money, you know, no matter how important we think our clubs are.
1: I, um, I, I we, player, we forget
0: about that sometimes.
1: I yeah. promised the player and his dad, because last summer his dad had come and see me in August and wanted to move him. There were clubs and the champ came in. And I said, I promise you, if he stays for a year and he wins the golden boot. And he does all the things I said, league player of the year. You will amplify his his earnings like you wouldn't believe. Mm-hmm. And at the time, the club, he was possibly going to last year offering six to seven grand a week. And yeah. my advice has come true where now he's earning five times that. And he's now just become a multi-millionaire. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy for any young player at 24 who's who's put his work in in League One who is now a multi-millionaire. So, you know, congratulations to him. And the final words will be your welcome.
0: Well, it's it's great to get it kind of done and dusted and you can kind of move on. And, um, you know, it, it was win-win for everybody in go the ahead. end. Um, a couple of general topics before we go into Q&A. Um, you know, I was reading about test events happening in September sure. uh, for crowds to get crowds back in. And I think uh, the talk was Charlton and Cambridge, perhaps, um, being a couple of the teams who are going to be doing that. I wondered if there's been any discussion, like, have you had any opportunity to... Put your hands up and say, we'd love to be run a test event or nothing. No,
1: nobody's coming to us. It's really funny yeah. because our doctor, our club doctor, was there at the game on Saturday. I haven't seen him in, like, months. And I love my doc. You know, he's, like, probably in his early 70s, uh, late 60s. And he's a great doctor. And um, he just he sent me a message. He was like, you can put that on the website. I'm like, doc, I wouldn't put that on the website. You'll, you'll get vilified and your license will be revoked. And he was just like, all our fans should be here now. We're out in the fresh mm-hmm. air. And he said, there's absolutely no reason for our fans not to be in the stadium. Uh, he's just one of them. And he's a doctor, by the way, can yeah. yeah. He's a bit on the team apocalypse when it comes to COVID. So,
0: <laughs>
1: reality. And um, he just turned around, he just looked at me, and he just went, fucking madness, you know? Um, so, the test events, we were never um No, nobody ever approached us. You know how I feel. Our fans should be back on Friday. Um, You know, we're prepping as best we can. We haven't got the final word. But as I've said previously, well, what's happening to the economy in the UK? You want to get people out back in stadiums and spending money again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and I got, some fans got a bit angry because I'd said in an interview along the lines of people who are a bit older maybe need to stay home for a while. That wasn't an enforcement for me. That was just like, you know, at the end of the day, if you're not in great health, maybe it's not best to be around crowds yeah, at the moment.
0: understand your personal risk.
1: Yeah, but if, you, if, you, if you're within health and you're in good shape and you're older, whether you're 90... You have the choice. Nobody should take the choice away from you how you live your life. So if you want to, you know, study everything, take the decision to go to a football game, that's on you. And and mm-hmm. I've no problem with that at all. Um, you know how I feel since day one, what this has done yeah. to people's economies and what it's done to education and everything else. So I'm just like, we've got to get back to normality of some sorts. And, and the UK now, when you see it, there's no reason people shouldn't be at football games and they should be there today.
0: Well, it's interesting to see that some of the non league teams are welcoming fans back. So I'm not sure what the difference is between a non league fan and a football league fan uh, when it comes to being able to be back in the ground or not.
1: I'm really happy for them because they don't get TV money. They don't yeah. get solidarity. They don't get advances. You own a non league club. You're only incomes fans. So I, I, I'm not jealous of non league clubs getting it back. I think they should have had it back and, and probably because they don't get maybe as many people. Um, mm. You know what? I'm, I'm so happy to see that because I love non league. Um, so for them to get it first, yeah, kudos. I love that.
0: So I want to talk a little bit about season ticket prices because, you know, right now um, folks are just making up the final mind. A lot of people have already bought the tickets. You know, club like Bradford, we only put tickets on sale last week, and I think they're only on sale for another week because they basically want to do a cutoff point to figure out, okay, how many have we got? How do we manage this logistically? Um, season ticket prices range all over the map. You know, you look at uh, a team like Barrow, for example, I think it was £360 for a season ticket there. For, for Bradford, it's 150 and we've always been kind of known for lower prices. Um, for, for you, I think it's in the range of 440 to 490 for the main stand. Um, just like I say, a lot of range there. How do you actually go about setting a, a fair season ticket price, a price that's, you know, <clears throat> you have so much range?
1: So we obviously have a ticket team. We have a marketing team. They'll come up with prices. It can also be to do with inflation if you haven't risen, put your price up for a couple of years. We're also yeah. a team, you know, we like to explain to our fans, we always spend money in the transfer market to try and have a competitive team. We try and do things the right way. We know we're not the cheapest, but we're not the most expensive. So we try and find, yeah. find us somewhere probably above middle. I think it works out at like, is it 13 or 14 quid a game or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure the actual price per game. We do initiatives for under 12s. Um, we look after people within the club. New fans. We have fans initiatives going on. The Bradford one's amazing. They've been doing 150 quid for years. Um, and and truth be known, Bradford fans would probably pay 180, 190, 200 if they were if they it's, saw some of the the players that say we brought in, you know, to give the team a chance. they probably. It's like an
0: that. ongoing debate. You know, yeah. we. I think on one hand, you know, when you look at your bank balance, you're happy that you only have to pay 150 quid to get in. But I think you know, you look where we are right now. Um, and you know, you you look at the kind of talent you've got.
1: Well, do you want cheap football or championship football?
0: Right. Yeah. I I, I mean, that's the, we're struggling with that, you know, because I think so many supporters are thinking this is too cheap. And we love the fact that it's, we love the fact that when folks are back in the stadiums, the, the atmosphere it generates and that, you know, you really feel as though you're not necessarily in a league two environment, but the players in the park are still, you know, League Two, maybe League One standard because of the price that we're able to pay them.
1: So, if I owned a Bradford, and, and trust me, I've looked at that club many times, you know what I mean? Because of the opportunity, I, I'd be very transparent with the fans and go, look, at the start, we'll keep it at a certain level. But as we're going to go and rebuild the club and go for back to back promotions or whatever else, you must understand as the product gets better, the price is going to get higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as fans know that in advance, and as long as you're very honest about that, that Without doing that, with everything in, in the landscape now financially and financial fair play, it's going to be impossible to get Bradford to the championship. So the, flans, the fans have to pay a part on that. And when we get yeah. to the stage where we can generate the business to be itself sufficient, we can look at that. Like I know, if we're in a new stadium and we're in the championship and we're thriving as a club and we're bringing in £25 million sales from players, we can be a lot more affordable for the general public in Peterborough. And unfortunately, it's like you're punishing people at the moment because you're trying to chase that success and they're mm-hmm. the of making sure you deliver the success you have to a deliver the product so that's to be good football and be the excitement and then see the results and we failed recently with that uh, you know yeah we won promotions we've won cups we've had some great times but we failed recently so we have to back that up because you, you can't keep charging your fans without giving them everything else and if right. you look at what we've done in recruitment this summer we've spent a lot of money and we're, we've kept the same team from last year about like one person's gone and mm-hmm promise to the fans as well we're going to try and give you what you had at the end of the last season and try and go again and try and put the pandemic behind us and and how it ended uh, and yes there's a price to pay and we've been very very lucky that our fans have been brilliant with us do you know what i mean we, we've had a tremendous response to our season ticket sets yeah.
0: Well, let's go into some listener Q&A. We have lots of questions we got this week. So I'm going to be asking them over the course of the next uh, few weeks. We also have, we put out a call for uh, people to throw names of players at us. Uh, We got a lot of those. I'm going to hold those for this week and then we'll do some kind of quick fire. Let's test your knowledge of uh, the young players around uh, up and down the country. Um, I'm going to go into a couple that I've received here. One, first of all, is from um, Michael Fritchley. Uh, Michael is a Swindon fan, and right. he asked if you'd ever stopped a player from leaving, even though a manager was adamant that they wouldn't play him.
1: Yes, um, a good few years ago, we were in the Championship. We'd gone through about nineteen managers, and it was Jim Ganim as our manager at the time, and he wanted to bomb out Craig McAll Smith, who was Barry mm-hmm. And I was out with my. I was in Florida. I was my daughter. I was my son doing kung fu at the time. And I remember getting a phone call from Barry saying, look, I've done a deal with, I can't remember what it was, Reading or Watford. I've done a deal for Craig to go on loan and he'd be going to South." and I was like, what are you fucking talking about? And I stopped that happening. And because my belief was, we hadn't seen the best of him yet as a player and mm-hmm. um, the manager wasn't happy. He got fired eventually. And the following year, Craig won player of the year in league one, he won the golden boot and we sold yeah. him for about 3.2 million pounds. So I converted a zero into 3.2 million pounds. by yep. intervening. Another player I intervened on was Gary Johnson did not rate Ryan Bennett. He preferred Calvin Langmead over Ryan Bennett. We paid over 500 grand for Ryan Bennett as a 19 year old. He, he brought in Calvin Langmead, kept playing him over him. I had a disagreement with Johnson that the future of the club was the Ryan Bennett. He was talented. Yep. Gary Johnson got fired, Darren Ferguson came in 12 months later, Ryan Bennett went for over three and a half million pounds one more was we had a player that we were selling on it was in a January Barry was bringing him to Norwich it was the season we got up from league one and again I stopped the deal and that player stayed we promised to sell him in the summer and he helped us win promotion so mm. yeah that's happened I have to do what's right for the football club sometimes and there might be disagreements with the manager and that's not called interfering that's doing what's right for the club itself and when you're paying the bills you have to make some tough calls so yeah there you go
0: all right thanks um now, one of the questions that um michael asked was actually about owen doyle and his oh. time at bradford and kind of um what our feelings were on the saga with owen doyle last year with uh you know bradford uh he started the season with us he went off to swindon he scored pretty much every week just to rub our noses in the fact that he was at swindon rather than at uh, at city um and obviously he ended up leaving and he's gone to bolton this year now I can add a few things in there in a moment on on my thoughts as a Bradford fan but as an outsider kind of how do you look at Owen Doyle and what he did last year
1: well my previous manager Steve Evans and me fell out because he wanted me to sign Owen Doyle and I didn't want to sign Owen Doyle and this was going back a couple of years ago he didn't fit our profile of player striker-wise. um yes every now and then he comes up with a brilliant season probably like Mm -hmm. a lot of players when they need a new contract, that I need a move, they'll have foot, you know. But he's never been consistent enough for me, and that's no slight on the player. He's 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 a brilliant goal scorer, um, best player in League Two last year, and, and Bolton have done good business to bring him in. Um, but not for me at that age and what Preston wanted and the wages he was on, it was like it just didn't make yeah. any sense. Myself and Evans actually, before he even started that season, we we nearly, you know, I was ready to strangle him. And uh, Steve, <laughs> Steve probably does not remember that story, but yeah, my wife will remember because of the, you know, the noise coming from my offices that night, <laughs> and, you know, on the phone. But um, I, I don't know what went on at Bradford. It seems strange. He went to Swindon, it clicked, scored a shitload of goals at Swindon, but yep. back to Bradford still didn't work. So it, I said this before. Sometimes players with certain clubs, it just doesn't work. We've added ourselves with certain players. We've had one recently. You know, we spent a lot of money on when he was younger, and he just doesn't do it for us. But when he was out on loan, he's done it. And when he gets sold, he'll probably do it again. And you like you worry about those ones, they come back to bite you in the arse. So you have to protect mm-hmm. yourself, sell on or whatever else. So, yeah, it must be for Bradford and a club like Bradford. That's a brilliant signing. James Vaughan was a brilliant signing at League Two. Yeah. If you couldn't get promoted with a strike force, Doyle and James Vaughan, even if they're like over 33, um, you're really not doing something right, are you? Um, well, that's really- what we
0: thought this time last year. Yeah,
1: so I, 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 I scratched my head on that one. As a Bradford yeah. fan, I yeah. would be thinking?
0: You know, for us, um, we were obviously excited to have him. Uh, you say about him and James Vaughan, we had Clayton Donaldson as well. So between the three of them, yeah, it's not the youngest strike force in the world, <laughs> but at the League Two level, you think they've got, they've got goals in them. Um, and it just didn't work. You know, I think that perhaps he, the system didn't work for him that he was in, uh, you know, he perhaps wasn't played the way that he, um, excels because Richie Wellens seems to get the best out of him. He did the same uh, when he was at Oldham. Um, they look to be a lack of interest, frankly. Um, and who knows, you know, why that, like the mindset side of things, right. uh, he went there scored for fun. And I think he came back with one idea, and that was to get the heck back out as soon as he possibly could. And, you know, wanted to do everything to make that, make his move to Swindon, you know, permanent for the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, really bizarre. I, I, I don't get it myself. I don't know the, the, the intricacies of, of the deal, what his contract was, whatever. Look, Bolton have got a goal scorer, um, mm. you know, and he's, he should score a boatload of goals for them this year. So that's what they need. That's probably their best signing of the summer.
0: So a question from Matthew Stanton. Matthew says, after the fiasco about the end of last season, um, you know, in in calling a halt to the season, are there any plans from the EFL if we are curtailed with a new wave of COVID? So kind of contingency plans if we have to shut things down again?
1: I'd be astonished if we shut anything down again. I'm hoping you're hoping like governments and the world are learning that, you know, shutdowns aren't the answer to what this pandemic was and it's more damaged than good. Um, So I'd be really, really surprised if it did get shut down. But I would imagine the precedent's been set. So I've said to my manager, whatever you do, make sure we're in the top fucking six, please. Yeah. You know, at, at any given time. Um, you know, from the get-go, I don't think you're going to get a slow start or a bad start or whatever else yeah. you want. Coming good far.
0: later in the season or anything, yeah. you want to be up there.
1: I mean, that's how we kind of did it last year at the peak at the right time and it kind of backfired on us, you know. So um, I think what we saw last year, I, if I were a betting man, I don't think that's ever going to happen again.
0: hmm All right. Um, Alex Cole. Alex says, I'm a supporter of a team in League Two, Um, and this summer the clubs adopted a policy of signing young players with next to no experience, um, you know, without really bringing any experienced players in the door, which is a big concern to the fans. So, you know, his question really is, is do you like the word experience when you're thinking about squad makeup? Um, And how do you try and get the blend between young and old when you're making up a squad?
1: I've signed three players over the age of 30 in 15 years. So that would answer that question. It doesn't work with my data, and my analysis, what I want to do for our club. I think occasionally you get the odd good play, like a Mark Beavers is 29, 30. Coming mm-hmm. to that age, that's the kind of good experience you want. I worry about signing 32, 33, 34-year-olds. Back in the day when we got out of League Two, we had Micah Hyatt. Um, we, you know, we had some very experienced players. Two or three of them sprinkled in there. Yeah. The majority was younger. With salary caps now, you're going to see more and more young people. Um, so veteran players getting paydays at the end of their career is a thing of the past in the lower league. Mm-hmm. I think.
0: Now, do you think your opinion may change if you're in the championship? Um, not necessarily on veteran players getting paydays, but in terms of makeup up with the squad, where you may get players who are more readily available, who have played no, at that level.
1: No, I, I created the Young and Hungry mantra. I brought that in years ago. I, I live and die by it. Um, Brentford have taken it to a new level because they're in the championship, and they were, mm-hmm. I think, the second youngest squad in the championship last year and should have been promoted. So I don't, I don't buy into that you need If my manager came and said, oh, we need three experienced 32-year-olds in the championship, I'll be like, that's not who our club is. So we're going to stick to what we do. Uh, we're not going to pay you know, players who are basically at the end of their career one last payday to maybe help us. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to have our model and just live and die by it.
0: Okay. Uh, so I have a question from Ricardo Pinho from Portugal. And Ricardo asks, um, well, he says that you mentioned previously in a pod that you have scouts that work directly for you so we wanted just to know kind of if, if that's exclusively or are those scouts that work for the club first off and then i'll ask a follow-up question
1: exclusively just for me
0: yeah so the follow-up is you know how do you coordinate that with them with the club when you have folks at the club who are you know club employed versus ones that are employed directly for you
1: i, I missed that bit phil there your internet uh, y-
0: bit, uh, yeah boring. so th- the, the question was really, how do you coordinate that? You know, having scouts and analysts that work for you and then others that work for the club.
1: Well, there's no one else that works for the club, really. We have one analyst that works for the first team who does all the, um, who we play next and, you know, our own player stuff. Um, yeah. The club occasionally will use part-time scouts. The manager will know to go to the odd game. But the actual scouts, when it comes to our recruitment, work for me. Um, we have two of them at the moment. They're young guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I paid them out of my own personal pocket. Um, not the club, uh, and yeah. you, you know, and they do a job for me based on my data, and my analysis, the way I like to recruit, and that's the way we've, as a club, have done it for many years, and that's mm. not going to change anytime soon unless I'm not with posh. So yeah. they, they would come with me. <laughs> so, yeah, that works.
0: So, so uh, last question that I'm going to hit you with today, um, and this is from Peter Book, who is an Ipswich fan, and. I'm kind of going to rephrase a little or paraphrase Peter's question. It's around um, owners and owners who may appear to be absent uh, owners. You know, do, you, do you see what the motivation is for an owner to get involved and then not be uh, visible in a football club? And, and should supporters be concerned when they have owners who you know, appear to be taking a back seat?
1: I think you should, you should definitely favour owners who are really passionate about owning their club and football. And I made some great ones like recently Robbie at Colchester, Robbie Cowen, great owner, very involved. You know what I mean? That goes through his blood, that club. And I think the ones who you never see, they've obviously just done it for financial reason. They obviously see a, some sort of a payoff maybe down the line. Mm-hmm. I think it's good to know who the owners are. It's good to see owners at games. My partners came in from Canada and they'll go to games when they can. They're passionate about the football. They want to be there. It's not just a, a monetary thing. It's It's a Peterborough United thing. And you can see them, they hurt when we lose. Um, and I think some of the silent owners that you never hear from or see, I'm not sure they hurt when the football club loses yeah. the game of football. And I hurt, as you can see with you know me on Twitter and social media losing my shit. I think everyone can say that I'm definitely in it for the football and nothing mm-hmm. else. I hurt like mad. Um, so I always favor knowing who the owners are.
0: Yeah. All right, well, we're going to go into a short break then. So this week and next week, we're actually going to be looking uh, forward to the new season with a number of fans from different clubs. We're doing something a little bit differently. So this week, we're going to be having a conversation with a number of Peterborough United fans. And next week, we're going to be looking across all the leagues. So if you actually have interest in joining Dara and I next week, we are looking for a couple of fans of Premier League clubs, Championship and League Two. We have uh, a few League One in the hopper already. Um, so if you're interested in being on the show next week, just email us at contact at hard And, um, you know, if we have too many, then, um, we're actually going to be trying to get more fans on throughout the season. So, you know, if this time doesn't work out, then we'll definitely keep your details on file. So after the break, we're going to discuss, uh, Peterborough's prospects with Dara and Dara's four fans, and I'll do my best not to sound completely uninformed. So we'll be back <laughs> in a minute. So hi everybody, welcome back to the Hadruth um, podcast and we are here with a, a number of Peterborough United fans. So we're joined by Simon Scarborough, Dale Pete, Caden Peacher and Nathan Brown to have a chat about what next season looks like along with Dara. Um, Dara, let me just hand over to you if you want to just share a little bit more about what we we're planning to do with this segment.
1: yeah. Hey guys, uh, welcome back obviously to the podcast and um, this is obviously like a fans corner. So what we want to do basically in every episode now is engage with some fans, have some healthy debates, talk football, uh, talk life, talk whatever. Um, this week obviously the easy one was to get a lot of posh fans on the on the podcast straight off the bat. We're looking forward in the future, anyone out there, whoever you support, even if it's men's football, ladies football, feel free to contact Phil, um, You know, email us at the podcast and, and let's engage and talk about football. So. To all you posh fans on the podcast at the moment, you guys, welcome. And uh, looking forward to having a great, so uh, Phil, you take it away and, let, and, and tell us what you need
2: from us.
0: Yeah, so I guess I'm going to start, um, and I'll just pick because uh, Simon is on my video here. I'm going to start with uh, Simon. So we've had a couple of transfer business from the last few days with the posh, whether it's um, uh, Ivan Tony leaving, Johnson Clark Harris coming in. What do you make of the transfer business so far this summer?
3: Oh. First of all, hi guys, thanks for having us on. Uh, very excited, I'll be honest with you, very excited. i have been Fosh now, about 20, 20, odd years and since obviously Dara took over uh, and now obviously his partner's You've got to have faith, really. It's just a proven record. And, and you know, when we signed Ivan Tony, there was like, "Oh, yeah, he's pretty good. He's you know, not, didn't uplift any trees the first time, but look what he's done now. And look where he's going." You've got to be realistic. You know, these you've got to trust in the people who run the club. They know what they're doing. They're not just you know sticking their finger in the air and choosing people from the know. You know, they've, they've been uh, they've been doing their their due diligence and scouting and speaking to other people that know the player. Um, but yeah, very, very exciting. I mean, you know, Jonathan Clark-Harris, a lot of people say, oh, we've had him before and he's a lot of money. But what he did last year, the last two seasons at, um, at Bristol Rovers, mid-table Bristol Rovers side, to score back goals. You watch the goals he scores as well. His left foot, he's like... he's, like, he's just unbelievable it's like you know he's, he's so strong and i think he'll compliment uh Dembele um it will compliment all those other ones there as well yeah it'd be brilliant but yeah very excited the business we've done a lot of young hungry players which is the model um but yeah excited great um i want to add kind of
0: to Nathan Nathan what are your thoughts on that especially uh um Johnson Clark Harris coming back because you know when i looked at me being an outsider you know it was um, it was an interesting transfer because it was perhaps what a lot of fans didn't expect necessarily.
4: Yeah, I think a lot of us were actually quite surprised. Um, I mean, I remember him being there originally um, and he, he obviously never actually uh, got a game in the end. But he, it was a kind of a surprise. I mean, obviously, you know, age profile wise, we tend to go for players that's sort of under 23, which, you know, I agree with. I think that's, that's a great policy to have. Um, But obviously, yeah, his goal-scoring record, you know, speaks for itself. And obviously with Ivan Levy, I think we did need a player of that kind of calibre, that difficulty, that had, you know, the the goal-scoring ability and and was proven at League One. Um, So you you can't really complain at that. And and I know a lot of Posh fans maybe aren't always in in agreement with some of our transfer business. But as Simon said earlier, um, you know, we have a proven track record. Mm -hmm. You know, the number of strikers that we've sold on for millions and millions of pounds. Um, and again, you know, with Ivan, it's it's kind of ironic that uh, a club that has a similar kind of policy to us has now gone and, and signed Ivan from, right. from a club lower down the, the division, which is what we do. So, you know, there's a lot to be said about that. Um, in terms of other players, um, I think Ethan Hamilton will, will to be a really, really good signing. Um, you know, I'd seen a lot of him. I saw him score that that one goal at, at Posh a few seasons ago. Um, we just seem to have improved on the squad again um, and, and, you know, getting the players back that, had come in um last january you know has been perfect that's exactly what we needed um and you know i i think we're gonna have a really really good season again and and that's probably most excited i've been for a long while um mm-hmm. about Posh, and, and it's just you know great to see and, and yeah i think the business has been as, as spot on as it could be
0: so Daryl, I want to bring you in just on, um, on Johnson Clark-Harris and kind of the age of Johnson. I know that we've talked before on the pod and you obviously look for younger players uh, rather than older players. And while it's, I think it's unfair to say somebody is old at 26, but it's a little bit older in terms of your model. And I just wonder some of your thinking in terms of, you know, that being the right deal to make, paying a fee, giving them a long contract.
1: Basically, sorry, I was just a manager ringing me on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, basically we, we looked at it and went well go and find an Ivan Tony. you know what are you going to go and sign that can do 80% of what Ivan Tony does for our team because you're not going to find someone to do 100% of it straight away it's not going to happen we're not in the Premier League we can't go out and sign a like for like straight away if Liverpool lo- lose Mo Salah they're going to spend 75 million to replace him um, and looked at Ivan Tony, what he brings to the 11 he brings to our team defensively offensively physically we did our data, our stats, and we had to go outside of our normal recruitment spectrum of we don't sign players for big money over a certain age. And the only one that was screaming at us off the page from young Premier League players to lower league players to football league players was Clark Harris in League One. And we made the conscious decision that we don't have another year or three months or four months to give a striker time to adjust. You've got to remember when Ivan came to us two years ago, he was on the bench for the first few months. You know, it took a while for him to get in a stride and get into the team and become the player he's become. We want to win promotion. So we were like, we've got 90% of the same squad and team that were vying for promotion last year. How do we bring in someone as close to him as possible that we can go from the get-go? So Clark Harris was the one screaming at us off the page. The manager loved the move. It was him and one other player that could do a similar job. So that's when we said Clark Harris is number one. Once we know Ivan's going, we're going to do a deal with Bristol. We'll bring him in. At the moment he's probably three weeks behind fitness wise so you're not going to see the best of him probably until later in september um, but complementing our strike force we're also very fortunate we're in a very different position where most years when we sell a striker we don't have a lot of other strikers we have one or two that are okay and then we have to bring one main man in we've got dembele as a striker now clubs want to buy him we're not selling him he's a he's a phenom at that level now he's a converted striker we've got mo Issa who who's a million pound signing last summer who was probably the third, fourth leading goal scorer in League One last year. And then with that, we've got the best 17-year-old outside the Premier League up front, who's as quick as Usain Bolt, which is Ricky J. Johns, who's been our leading goal scorer in pre-season, who we think we're going to be in a position next summer where we don't actually have to go out and get any striker or a replace because this kid's going to be the absolute real deal. And he's learning his trade. And now we've got four strikers to complement everything we do. So we're in a really, really strong, we feel, strong position in the in
0: the striker course we've got four guns so, so. I, i'm going to uh, open this up first of all to dale and then i'm going to come over to caden um you know if you were on the phone to the gaffer right now which gaps would you be suggesting that um you know you feel that you may still need to fill are there any positions you feel that um we could do with another one two players in
2: uh, for me it's always been a uh, defensive side of things i think going forward we have no problems with that. We've always been an attacking team mm-hmm. um, but I think sometimes our defence struggles a little bit more um, and we leak goals when we could be keeping clean sheets but other than that, no, I think the squad is is perfect as it is. Aidan? Do
3: you think it's oh. strange that not just our club but we don't really spend like millions of pounds on a defender. It's always a striker which gets the sort of limelight. I mean, don't you want the score goals they win your games but... Yeah, you know, it's weird really. At Posh, I, don't think, I can't remember. Ryan uh, Bennett. We spent, Ryan Bennett. We spent half a million quid on Bennett or a bit more than that. I don't know what it Jack was. Jack Baldwin. Jack Baldwin. Yeah, Jack Baldwin was, I suppose, for a defender. But would, Ryan, would you... Could. Yeah, it's true. Would you spend a million quid on a defender, though Would you spend like over a million on a defender?
1: If in the championship, yes. If they're right. on the right... Look, at the, at the end of the day, yes, the right player will always determine a good value. Like Jack Taylor, the central midfielder, who spent nearly a million on him. Um, you know, would I spend it on a goalkeeper? Probably not nowadays. Defender, yes. Midfielder, yes. Striker, you'd spend obviously more. Because right. usually they're the ones who get you the big bucks, they get you the goals. We, but we were really lucky this summer. We feel we got a 17-year-old, which was like not having to spend a million quid, but he's already worth more than a million quid. You know, And I call him Franz. And that's young Ronnie that we got in, that we knew about from Barnett. And if you see this kid and you ask the first team and you ask Beavers and players around him, fuck me, this kid's going to be a top, 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 top player. Um, so, you know, we feel in like Frankie Kent, we've got somebody who we think, you know, he's one of the best centre backs outside the championship and again can go higher. So we, we feel defensively we're in a really, really good position. Brilliant. And don't forget, we just got a goalkeeper win the Golden Gloves. You know, I think we were the seventh best defense in League One last year, which for us is the best defense for us in 15 years. So (laughs) defensively, that's astonishing because we are a swashbuckling goal-scoring team. But actually at the moment, if you look at it, our defense was, as a core and a unit, are all still together and they're probably going to get better.
0: So, Caden, do you see any gaps that, um, you know, are most striking? Are you pretty happy with where the squad is?
5: Um, I'm pretty happy with where the squad is, personally. Um, we've signed some top players um, this transfer window. Um, Johnson Clark-Harris, Ethan Hamilton, Ronnie Edwards. We've signed some top players. Um, I don't think really need, we really need to bring in any other players. Maybe a centre-back. Um, but other than that, I think we've, mm-hmm. we've done really good this summer.
0: Now, Daryl, you put out the graphic last week, or the club put out the graphic last week of the squad um, and the salary cap squad, if you like, where you left off a couple of players, and we talked about that before, about that's just the nature of the salary cap. Now, you had one um, open spot, which I'm assuming is the spot you just filled. So are you done? <laughs> Go on, spot?
3: Phil, put them on the spot, Phil. <laughs> we,
1: haven't, we haven't filled with Phil. So. Right. So so that, could be, that could be a phone call about it now. But no, we, we, we've, got, we've got one spot left, mm-hmm. um, you know, financially that we can do. Um, that, that's tight. And, um, you know, that might be now. That could be in four weeks' time. Yeah. Um, we're good to go. We can, we can play in the league on Saturday. We, you know, we've got a squad we feel confident confident, you know, of, of getting us promoted. But we've just purposely left that one slot left just in case that something special comes up. Um, that maybe we need. Did
2: um, you say Sammy or
1: slot, gara <laughs> I'm not going to talk, talk about any clubs. Bloody joking. Any players, you know, that aren't affordable because they play at higher levels. Um, you know, but we just left that one slot open that we feel, if necessary, we we'll go in, we we'll fill it, we we'll get it done. Um, I, I know what the fans want, but you know, uh, at the end of the day, we have to be we have to be reasonable as well. It's League One. It's salary cap. It's you know, it's, it's very, as, as shown with Reese Brown, it's very difficult to get to the salaries of the championship. Um So, yeah. So let's see what happens with that one slot. Like I said, it could be today. Tomorrow, it could be in four or five weeks' time when the window closes. But I wanted to purposely leave space in case we need to uh, go and add a little extra ingredient somewhere.
0: Yeah, and you never know what might come up towards the end of the season. Players that aren't available today, suddenly on transfer deadline day, you get, uh, you get a phone call. You never even thought they were in the realm of possibility.
1: Right. Right. You have to. I love the salary cap. And I wanted to manage it as best I could. And it lets players who are in it know they have to go and find clubs who are not going to play. It lets our fans know who our squad is. I, to me, it's, it's a great thing.
0: So from, you know, looking at this season, uh, I'm going to go around the table again. Um, and I'll start. Uh, this time I'll actually start with you, Caden. You know, are there any teams that you feel the most in League One this season that you think are going to be the biggest competition?
5: Um, I would say Wigan, if they get out of their financial difficulties and all Mm. that. I think they'll be a very good team challenging for the title, maybe. Um, But yeah, I think there are some top teams in League One this season. Um, You know, it could really, because um, if you think about it, there was Fleetwood last season. No one expected them to get anywhere near the playoffs. And um, yeah, it just came out of nowhere.
0: Yeah, and the same for Wickham as well. You know, you always get these teams that you never, when you're looking at the beginning of the season and you're kind of positioning them where you think they're going to be, you think, uh, you know, they may struggle to even survive and they surprise a lot of people. Um, I'm going to go, um, Nathan, ask you the same question. Biggest challenges this season?
4: Um, Again, there's a lot. Um, You know, I think Wigan, I would probably discount slightly because of the sheer number of players that they've sold Mm. um, and the quality of players that they've sold. Um, I've seen that Oxford have signed some good players. Fleetwood has mentioned they've signed some very, very good players. Um, every single season, you know, it's not going to change. Every single season we're in League One, there's always going to be clubs that are, you know, as big as us, if not bigger. Um, you know, we've still got Sunderland, Ipswich, you know, clubs that have spent time in the Premier League. Um, so it's, it's always as difficult as it is. Um, I would expect us to be in, you know, the, the top six kind of positions again. Um, but yeah, I, you know, that's exactly as it is. You know, the, the league is always very, very strong. It's probably one of the most difficult leagues to get out of besides the championship. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think we should fear anyone. Um, and I think, you know, clubs probably won't fear us at the same time. You know, maybe we're an unknown quantity um, and maybe that's a good thing going under the radar. Um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't really say that anyone's, you know, too much of a worry. I, I think we just have to go there and play our game um, because we're very good at it, you know, when we do do that.
0: Um Dara, un- unknown quantity, do you think do you agree with that? Or do you do you think that because no. you were, you know, a lot of the same players this year as last year?
1: You... I, I think as a settled team, I think a lot of people will know who we are. Mm-hmm. Um I, I, I think some clubs will fear us. I think when we get on our stride, I think you know it's it's always good to be able to like in the old days you know, be able to score a lot of goals. I think there's always that fear factor, regardless how we've ended seasons or finished, people don't like playing us. Um yeah. I'm, I think Hull are going to be the favourites to win the league, in my opinion. Um, you know, and The reason I think Hull is they've kept some good players from last year in League One in the championship. They've recruited well. I've trained McCamwell um, as regards to recruitment. I think they've given him a chance. He's been in the playoffs in League One with Doncaster. Um, you know, they're a big club. And then there's the usual suspects of Portsmouth, yeah. Oxford, Ipswich, Sunderland. You, you, nobody really knows. It's a real unknown quantity, the majority of the league, because of the lack of recruitment and who signed who, who's kept who. Everyone's trying to get their head around salary cap. Um, I, I think it's a wide open league. And I think from coming up, you've got Plymouth and Swindon and, and Crewe, who I really like. You've got some really settled young players who've been together. And if they keep them together, it could be a surprise package. Who knows? Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, that's that's kind of what I meant by unknown quantity, is because you know every single season we start it and we have no idea how it's going to go. Because as we say, you know teams always come into it and we would have never even really thought would have got even close. Um, so that's why the league is always so difficult because clubs, you know, there's always a couple of clubs that have a run, and then there's also clubs that underperform. Um, so you can never really tell, can you? And, and that's why I meant you know unknown quantity because we may be one of those sides that you know go on and have an incredible season and win the league. We just you know you can never tell. Absolutely,
0: Simon, from a squad togetherness perspective, that's one of the things that you talk about teams like Wickham, you know, and they often get, they, they do well because they, they're working for each other rather than a team of individuals. And I just wonder kind of what kind of sense you get just, you've obviously seen, I've been watching uh, Peter for a long time. You've seen most of the players last season already. Do you get that sense that they are a, a kind of a squad as opposed to a team of individuals?
3: Yeah, two words. <coughs> excuse me, two words. Really, Darren Ferguson. Every uh, I've seen managers through Peter obviously come and go um, more under Darren than previous owners. But it's uh, they you're looking at basically Darren Ferguson. What he does do really well, I've noticed this, and you can see it from the stands. There seems to be a togetherness with the players. They all sort of i don't know if it sounds silly, but he celebrates on his own. No one really runs over to him. From a fan's perspective, just visually, you know, they all go together. The whole team is huddled brown when someone scores, or if someone's put a great tackle in or a great save, there seems to be people all over congratulating each other. I think for a fan's perspective, when you see that, you think, yeah, you know, there's, something's right here. You know, it's uh, They've got something right. And I think, and with Darren's teams, um, what I've seen over the years, there's always had that togetherness, um, no matter what, you know, when we've been fighting down relegation, or going for promotion. It just seemed to have that, you know, where everyone seems to know each other's role and, you know, they seem to get on from, from a perspective as a fan and what you can only see without actually speaking to all the players. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's there. And Darren Ferguson, I think he's, he's the right man for this. Yeah. He's the right man to get us out of this league.
0: And Darren, you've we'll kind just...
3: of piggyback on that. Mm. Sorry yeah, to lie, No, please go piggyback on
4: that. Um, I think this is probably the most together squad that we've had um, since we've been back in League One. You know, this kind of feels like the sort of days when we were in the Championship and our squad really did feel incredibly sort of settled and positive. Um, and I think from sort of January onwards, from when the players came in, um, the new players that we signed in January, when they came in, we suddenly actually felt quite confident. We actually felt like we were going to do it. And I think in previous seasons, or at least in the last few seasons, we certainly haven't had that feeling of... I actually think we can do this. It felt gen- really, really genuine, and, and that was incredibly important for us as a fan base. I think because we needed to believe again. We needed that kind of mm-hmm. that, you know, re-energizing, if if one of a better word, really.
0: Yeah, and I was I was just going to ask Dara. I know you were at um, you know at training camp a couple of weeks ago. You saw it firsthand. I mean, are you pretty happy with the togetherness of the squad right now?
1: Players are in a good place. Um, they understand what was taken from them last year. They understand the importance of, of showing that this season. Um, there's so many of the same people there. Um, they're PW United players, and they're very proud to be at the football club. And through COVID, the pandemic, and seeing what they've been like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always optimistic. Mm-hmm. And I hate sound like a broken record. Like, oh, great squad, great team spirit. But these players have been through it last season, and they were getting to the stage where they looked pretty, pretty tasty. And 90% of them are still here. So, it wouldn't shock me to see them kick on to another level. Um, and that's what I kind of expect this season. Yeah. So, let's wait and uh, We'll find out soon enough. Uh,
0: Dale, uh, I want to bring you in because um, I'm just going to ask kind of a final round of questions for everybody. And this is about expectations. Um, what's your expectations of the season?
2: Uh, for me, obviously, promotion is a big one, but uh, I'd be happy with it with the top six finished, mm. I think. The last few seasons, before that, the season finished, we were struggling a little bit to get over the line. But I think this year, with the same squad as last year, additional players as well, I think we've got every possibility of, of reaching that goal of getting promotion. And I think, for me, that's one of the expectations I've got. Mm-hmm. Um, but just playing attacking football as well, getting back to the old days of, of scoring goals every week, getting the fans celebrating, it's, it's what it's all about.
0: Yeah, being to, enjoying the game, enjoying, basically enjoying what you're watching as well. I've, I've, As a Bradford fan, you know, we've not had a very good couple of years here. And, you know, we've had managers who I'd say uh, at best you could say that they play pragmatic football, uh, which, you know, is usually kind of code for it's awful to watch and you hope that you win 1-0. <laughs> and so when you don't, it, it feels even worse. There's something to be said for, you know, our manager says he would rather lose 4-3 than 1-0. Um, it, there's something it was, to be said for um,
2: that. I mean, I, I against my better judgment, I work for another football club as well. So I work for Mansour Town mm-hmm. um, and, and their fans were obviously seething with how they finished the season yeah. off last year and they weren't playing attacking football. They went, The season before, they needed one point from eight games and still failed to get promotion. And it's just, it, they just weren't happy. And, and now they've got to the squad where they were. It's it, it's, it's horrible as a fan when you're not playing football that you can enjoy right
0: yeah because at the end of the day you know you know that you're not going to win every week as much as we want to win as long as you feel like you're giving 100%
2: yeah exactly
0: um Simon any what are your thoughts on the season ahead
3: Well, I said at the start, very excited uh, for the season. I think that's not just because of COVID and we've not had any football for ages, but um, my expectations, I think, would be if we start like the last seven or eight games before we stopped, that was just brilliant. Yeah, beating Portsmouth and Oxford and not fearing anyone in the league. Yeah, that, 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 that for me is where under Dara and Dara, if so that's been the best of posh, you know, where you're not fearing, when you're beating these top teams, you know, where everyone, no one thought we'd beat Oxford, Portsmouth towards the end and stuff, well, apart from internally we did, but yeah, it's my expectations really at the start, is just to continue how we finished, as really, I know that's easy to say, because obviously a long break, and lots happened, and players have gone and out, um, but yeah, I think I think we, could, we can do it, you yeah, know, we've got the players, I, a friend of mine was talking to the other day about, Yeah, but he's not a Peter Poshko. Yeah, but you've lost Tony, you've lost Madison. You know, you've lost most of your goals and assists out of that team. What are you going to do? You know, it's like, well, he obviously didn't know about Taylor and a few other guys, got Broom in now and, you know, Johnson, Clark, Harris. But um, I really do think if we start how we sort of finished, which can easily happen, I think we're in for a very, very exciting season. Um,
0: Darrell, I want to just come in on, on the idea of momentum. You know, it's something you're really big at. Big on you know in business as well. Um, it, can you h- how do you keep the momentum going from when we've had essentially what is it now six months almost of no football? I mean, is the momentum from last year gone and you got to start building again? You know, one step at a time, or have you been able to carry that over?
1: We'll find out when the season starts. Every season you'd like to think you know well when you keep the same team and squad. I would imagine nine of the starting eleven would be the same players you beat Portsmouth last time out. So. Who knows? Uh, you know, Portsmouth will have different players. Other teams will have different players. It's all about just, you have a goal, you have targets, make sure everyone knows their jobs, get ready to go. We want to get promotion, we want to win the league title and we have to set the pace. And as we've spoken about the pandemic, there's no point in being toiling at 7, 8, ninth. you know, around Christmas or going after Christmas. You want to hit the right, you know, you want to get going from the start. Um, yes, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, but you're not allowed to finish in some circumstances. So <laughs> we agree. We really have got to go all out and make sure that we're up there. Um, and uh, momentum—it doesn't matter about last season because just equally, if you'd lost four games in a row, you'd be saying, "Well, that doesn't really matter because that was last season. This is a new season." So Wickham the year before last was shite. Wickham last year won promotion, so it's a new season. What well, our players can't fall in the trap of is thinking, "Oh, we've made it. We've got all the same players. We're winning all these games. Let's go out and we'll just roll people over." That doesn't work like that in football. We have to go out and fight and work hard for the minute one. and That has to be the attitude of the football club, and I expect that to be the attitude of the team as well. All
0: right, so I'm going to come over to Caden for you and, and your expectations of the season. What, what's, what's success going to look like this year?
5: Um, I would like to say that we can finish in the top two. I think it will be a bit of a challenge, but I think we could potentially do it. Um, I would be happy definitely with a third or fourth uh, mm-hmm. position finish. Um, What looks different, though, is every year we usually bring in a whole completely different squad. And this year, as Dara said, we've still got 90% of the players from last year. And um, yeah, I'm really hopeful for this year and hopefully we can push on and get promoted.
0: Yeah, I think that's so important is being able to keep that car. Um, again, I, I cannot talk from a Peterborough perspective, but from a Bradford perspective. And we had some success, you know, middle of the decade. And that was built around a car team that we'd add to every couple, you know, a couple of players at the end of the season. Everybody knew how everyone played, and it was just kind of incrementally improving. And the moment they, they decided to change that, we went downhill pretty fast, um, you know, thinking that we just needed to get rid of everybody start from scratch again. So I think that's gonna be one of the big things that counts in you guys' favor this year. Um, Nathan I want to come over to you as well you know expectations from your perspective
4: um, as I said earlier top six I wouldn't feel like we will be any lower than that mm-hmm. um, I'd like to think top two I'd like to think we'll we'll have a title challenge definitely um, you know, similarly yeah, we'd you be happy anywhere in the top six I think really because we've had so many years of, of almost making the playoffs you know last season and, and then the season before and it would just actually be nice to actually be in that mix and have that kind of excitement again. Um, you know, I think in terms of, of what we'll do, I, I genuinely think as long as we're consistent throughout the season as well, um, usually, you know, we start off amazingly and then Christmas we have a, a bad period and then, you know, we're inconsistent after that. Um, you know, last season that kind of changed because we had so many, you know, wins on the bounce and, yeah. and we were actually really, really playing well. So I think we don't necessarily need to fly out of the traps. I think we just need to be consistent throughout the season. Um, you know, longevity at the end of the day. Um, you know, it's not a marathon, it's it's a sprint at the end of the day. Um, but also I think the element of of sort of revenge that we've got on with this season, I think will actually kind of be a, a secret weapon in a lot of ways. I think it will be, you know, one of those mentalities where, you know, we are going to win, we are going to do this because of what happened last season. And I think, you know, clubs in in hindsight should really, really fear us because of that. I think, you know, we've got we've got that in our armoury and that's something maybe we haven't had. Um, And if you look across the squad, if you look, you know, from goalkeeper to to forward, I don't actually think there's an area that we're weak in. Mm -hmm. Um, I think maybe regularly we've had areas where we thought, I'm not so sure on that. Um, Whereas if you go through the team now, I think we've got as strong uh, as 11 as we've had um, probably since the championship, I would say, Um, you know, position for position.
0: So I guess I'll put you on the spot, and I'm going to ask the same question to everybody as we kind of go around the final time. Who's going to win the League One Golden Boot this
3: year? I'll I'll, I'll go first. I think I really think Dembele would do it, and I know, but I I think he's got all the attributes. If you look down, like the pace of Jack, Jack Marriott, you know, he's got his finishing ability is really good outside the box he's got a low centre of gravity he's got all these sort of aspects that I think he could be a really top striker in this league and I think I think he'll pip it I think he'll, he'll play it's injury free he never got injured I think he injured once I think in the season I think, and then suspended but if he stays injury free I think he's got a really good chance of getting it really good
0: Dale I'll come over to you
2: um I think it's a tough one because I think there's obviously a lot of good strikers out there. But mm-hmm. with how we played in a, a mid-table team and still managed to score 16 goals in all competitions, I think Clark Harris has got to be a, a very good contender for it. Because if you can do that in a lower league, League One team, right. imagine what he can do in a, in a very good... Yeah, he can do a fantastic job with a very good League One team around him. So that's that would be my option for, right. for it. Nathan? Um, I wouldn't necessarily think that our two strikers
4: will win it because I think there's always a player that that does get a high number of goals. But I actually think we'll share them around the team. I think with Dembele and, and Clark Harris up front, I think the pair of them will get you know 20 goals each. I think, mm. um, and then you've got Ricky coming off the bench potentially or, or starting in certain games. I think he will hit you know five or ten goals, which you know will be huge. I think Jack Taylor, who showed last season that he can can get a goal from midfield, I think it'll be a lot of. Of goals shared around, um, rather than necessarily one player like Ivan getting, you know, twenty five, thirty goals this season. I think it'll be um, much more shared around, and and that'll actually be, you know, quite a positive thing. I think.
0: Um, and Caden.
5: Um, yeah, I think it'll be all shared around, really, because we've got four really good strikers: Suriki Dembele, Ricky J Jones, Moisa, and of course Johnson and Clark Harris. I think. We'll score a lot of goals next season, um, which is what we usually do. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of strikers. Um, I'm very looking forward to it. But one out of them four players that I would have to say, I I would have to go for Sariki Dembele because he's a really good player. And watching him play, he looks like he's going to be a really good player.
0: Well, Dara, I'm not going to put you on the spot to choose, you know, which one of your uh, kids you like the most.
1: (laughs) Uh, Clark will win the Golden Booth and Dembele win AFL Player of the Year for League One.
0: There you go. All day long. Share the spoils. All day long. So I'm going to final word, Dara. I want to hand back over to you just to kind of share some final thoughts as we go into the season, and um, uh, you know what you're looking out for.
1: Well, look, guys, thank you very much for tuning in today. It's been a pleasure having you. Hopefully, with we'll a lot more football plans coming up. All I'll say is, is, my message is: before the season starts with the League Cup next week, and then the league the following week, is I wish every successful clubs out there, all players out there, um. Cannot kind of wait for fans to come back because it's, it's right to do it. Um, for those fans who don't get to come back, i am got it for you. But uh, as I've said from day one since i did the podcast, I've always said better days are ahead. 2020 has been a fucking shit show. Excuse my language for Caden who's over there listening. But <laughs> 2021 20, 20, is going to be probably the best year for a long time. So really looking forward to it. So all the best to all of you. Thank you for tuning in today. Thank right. you.
0: Thank you, Darren. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on on this Fans Forum. We're going to do another one, like we said earlier, um, covering really Premier League, Championship League 1, League 2. So if you're interested in being a part of that next week, just email us at uh, contact at hardtruthfootball.com. I want to give a shout-out before we leave to Graham Palmer. Now, Graham wrote in, he's a listener of the show and he's running a 5k a day for 10 days in a row for macmillan cancer support this wednesday so the day that the pod goes out um will be his 10th and final run for the challenge so if anyone's interested in uh looking that up looking graham up sponsoring uh just go to 10daychallenge.macmillan.org.uk and just do a search for graham that's graham palmer um good yeah. And finally, next episode will be Wednesday, the September the 9th. So uh, we got tons of questions coming in. We're going to get to those over the next couple of weeks. Keep those coming um, until next week. Darren, and I will see you all again soon.
1: Take care. Cheerio, guys.